Father, we give you thanks that you, you're in charge. You do your will, that no hand can stand against what it is that you want to accomplish. No hand can stay you. No one can ask, what is it you're doing? God, you accomplish your will. God, even as I've read through our Bible reading plan for the last couple of weeks, to watch how you use, uh, you use Nebuchadnezzar who had nothing to do with you. None, he wanted nothing to do with him, a ruthless man. You used him to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish because you're sovereign. God, may that remind us that, hey, we're not really that important in the play, but God, we can hand everything to you. You're sovereign. And God, I don't pretend to understand your permissive will. I don't get how our choice and your sovereignty play out. All I know is that I will not, I will not downplay your sovereignty to make you make a little bit more sense. So God, I thank you. I thank you that there was a change. I thank you after decades. There was a change and we see Roe versus Wade reversed. God, we pray that this would move your church to engage into the community and lives of people and to share with them our heart and why and to hear them and to show respect, but to not bend on this, that we will defend life. God, convict us where we're not doing it right in any other area when we say that we're about life. God, make us attentive to your heart. But God, for those who are here or listening or watching later or right now, they just don't agree with this. Father, I pray. I pray for a softness of heart that they would want to engage in a conversation, that they would be able to hear our side and I could hear theirs. And, and yet, Jesus, I just am convinced that you, you're the, you're the one, according to your word, you knit us together in, your mother, in our mother's womb, that you have us set apart. You had Jeremiah set apart before he was, while he's in the womb, you had him set apart for his purpose. God, you create life. God, may we not be okay when life is taken away, but may we show respect and love toward those who disagree. But God, may our hearts still be this. May we be, be, may we be people who are about what you're about, to love you, to love people, and to go and make disciples. God, may, may, the, may the mission never change from that. And as we are faithful to that, God, I pray, revive your church and revive our nation, revive this world. The world would be open to the movement, the spirit of God, that the gospel would go forth and impact communities and societies, God. And may we be faithful to the little part that you've called us to. God, now as we open your word, Father, I pray that you keep my opinions and my agenda to myself. God, I pray that we'd be attentive to you, teachable, humble to receive. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. In Colossians chapter two, uh, we're st we'll start back in verse eight real quick, but remember where we're at with the people of Colossae. Uh, the Christians in Colossae, remember it's this podunk little town, and Paul wrote them a letter because he heard of what was going on. And there were false teachers that had come into the community and this, they weren't telling people to get rid of G Jesus, they were just telling people to include Jesus in a bunch of other teachings. So it wasn't like, hey, you can't like Jesus or be around Jesus. In fact, they liked being able to connect with Jesus because Jesus was still pretty well-known, even though he'd already ascended into heaven. 
But it's more like take Jesus and connect him to mysticism and astrology and philosophy and some legalism, Jewish legalism, and put it all together and just create this, this belief system or this religion. And we'd sit there and go, well, I'm so glad that that doesn't happen today, except that it does. Guys, in every argument, it's almost like this, especially as, as, as we're going to go out to vote. And I mean, if, if you just feel like the Lord's calling you to vote, vote. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know how to vote on this one. Pray about it. Ask the Lord. But we want to pray. God, help us to vote biblically. Help us to vote biblical convictions. Like, what does the Bible say? Help me to vote that way. And you sit there and go, I don't know if God's leading me to vote this time. Then don't. It's like, oh, did Brian just say don't? I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to find the place in the scripture that says, vote or you shall burn. I don't know where it says that. But ask the Lord, God, is this what you want me involved in? But if not in that aspect, are you still involved in your community? Like helping people involved in making sure that people are cared for and loved and that you are being the church. But on this, it's not get rid of Jesus. It's just include him in all these other beliefs. It's like any topic that seems to come up, it's like, what would Jesus be thinking? And both sides think they've got a handle on Jesus. And I always go back to that passage in Joshua. Joshua, he's getting ready to go over to cross, to cross the, the, the Jordan, or Jordan River and, he, and he's looking and, and he sees this guy and he's got this sword drawn and he goes up to the guy and it freaks me out because if I see a guy with a sword walking down the street, I don't know that I'm sitting there and go, I wanna go have a chat. I think in that moment, it's like, I think I wanna run. And yet Joshua's like, he walks and goes, hey, you for me or for our enemies? Are you for us or for them? It says that the angel of the Lord, which most scholars would say that this is Jesus pre-incarnate, he looks at Joshua and he says, neither. I'm not for you or for them. Guys, we have to remember God's about himself. He's about his glory. He's about him. It's not trying to get Jesus on my side. It's just about trying to get people to Jesus. And so when you have these false teachers going, we don't want you to get rid of Jesus. We just want you to include him into all these other things because this is really the truth. You're missing out when it's just Jesus. So just to show this kind of stuff still happens, I'm not gonna name the church. It's not even in this, it's not in this state, but I was just kind of looking on the line. Not the name of the church, but it's this Congregational United Church of Christ website. Here's their conviction about biblical foundation, okay? When I read it, it says, the Bible is read at every one of our progressive Christian worship services and it's the foundation of our beliefs, faith, and values. And I'd sit there and go, praise God. Every time they get together, they're opening the word of God so that they can read the scriptures. And then there's this statement. A phrase that points to our identity is that we are a reformed and reforming church. There's a dynamic aspect of our faith and practice. We believe that God calls us in each generation to use our minds, our hearts, and our spirits to keep the Christian faith alive and relevant. Ancient traditions and practices shape who we are, but they do not, de they do not define who we are. And they finish with this statement, God continues to shape us as the world changes. And here's the slippery slope, because it sounds kind of Christian until we say this. As the world changes, so should we. As the, as the culture changes, so should we. And that's what God's doing. See, we read the Bible at all of our worship services. And yet we still get to define what parts we actually want to believe. Because as the culture changes, so should we. Friends, I'll be, I'll be honest. Maybe our methods of sharing Jesus, maybe we got to fine tune them a little bit so that we make sure that we're reaching the culture where they are. But our convictions, the doctrines, the core beliefs of our faith don't. They don't change. In fact, what it is that we hold to should move us forward and how it is that we actually live out our faith, not the culture telling us how we should change based on what the culture believes to be the right in the moment. 
So as I read that, I said, okay, so what are, what are more of their beliefs? I said this, the next one. This is a core belief. The Christian faith is founded on three primary calls we see through Jesus. To love God, to love our neighbor, and to love ourselves. I said, I go, okay, love God, love your neighbor. How often am I saying that? Love God, love people, make disciples, and make disciples, make right? It's that loving ourselves part. I'm not gonna sit there and go, don't love yourself. Guys, I think we should have this healthy esteem but I also know that I'm not supposed to focus on me. I'm supposed to focus on other people. I'm supposed to focus on God. And if I listen to God and what he says about me, I'm gonna hear him say, hey, you're not sinner, you're saint. You're, you're a child of God. And all of a sudden, my identity is being changed and impacted by who God says that I am. And I love him and he loves me. And to love people right where they are. And I want you to love yourself. But if I look at Jesus, we're supposed to be last. We place everyone ahead of ourselves. And we go last because that's what Jesus did. So I don't think there's in, anything inherently wrong in that, in that statement. goes on. Love of God involves all aspects of life, not just human life, and this concept of caring for creation. Guys, do you realize that in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, God gave the responsibility to mankind. To, he's looking at Adam. Eve's not around yet. He looks at Adam and says, hey, I want you to work the ground and keep it. That word keep means to protect. That Christians, we are supposed to have this conviction of how we care for God's creation. It's in the scriptures. You can't just sit there and go, ah, that's just political. It's not political. It's biblical. We're supposed to care for creation. So I look at that and go, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Love of neighbor means extending kindness and care. Anything inherently wrong with that? Absolutely not. My neighbors should know that I care about them. I gotta be honest, like, oh, okay, I say that a lot. That just means I'm transitioning to a thought that popped in my head that's not in my notes. Here, the last house we lived in, man, we had so much fun with our neighbors. And it's, if you know me, I'm an introvert. I like being by myself, but it's like, okay, how can I make an impact on people if I don't talk to them? And so we, have, we, have, uh, we, had, a, we had a couple a couple houses down. I don't know what it is. I, I, I hate summer. I hate it. You're like, why? Have you seen me sweat in the winter? <laughs> Guys, I drown myself in the summer. These two people, I mean, the first thing that they did when they got home from work, like, I don't know what he did for a job. First thing he did, he took off his clothes, not all of them. That sounds weird. It's like, no, what's wrong with your neighbor? It wasn't like that. It wasn't butt naked. But it's like, he takes his clothes off and he puts his board shorts on and then he sits in the sun. 100 degrees, he's just sitting there. And then she shows up and does the same thing. And so you people that love like the sun and the summer are freaks. Like, I don't get it, Callie. I don't understand that concept. I don't get it. And our neighbor right next door, he's like 6'6", six, six, this massive, huge black guy. And he had all these gold chains. He looked like Mr. T, kind of. And I'm not sure, like you'd see his garage door closed and he had like 55 TVs in there. It's like his own man lounge. And there was some smoke in there all the time, but I'm not quite sure what the smoke was from. But every time I'd go off to speak, I'd look at him and he'd call me reverend. He's like, reverend? I'm like, neighbor? He'd always say this. He goes, I got your family. I'll take care of your family. And the thing is, I loved it because he was so terrifying. If there was a car that came in our neighborhood, no joke, his garage door was open most of the time, but when it was shut, you just didn't go close to it. So when it came up, he would walk out and he would stare down every car that came by. And I'm like, that's my neighbor. <laughs> so when I go to preach, that dude's got my family. Heck yes. I want the dude that can beat somebody up taking care of my family while I'm gone. 
I love that neighbor. Then we get to this new one that we've been in for about 10 years now. And I say, God, I want to make an impact. I want to make an impact. I want the neighbors to know that we care, that we love them. It's so fun to just joke with them and pal with them and be friendly with them, not just away from a distance. Like the other day, a guy's out there doing weed stuff and I said, I'm going to scare him. And so I pulled my truck up as kind of as quick as I could. And, and then I honked at him from behind and he turned around and he shot my, he was going to shoot my truck with his weed eater. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. He said, well, what is that? It's creating a relationship with neighbors because then I can jump into conversations about Jesus. It's engaging people. It's engaging our culture. Guys, there's nothing wrong with showing kindness and care for our neighbors. Another, the next one, love of self means engaging in spiritual disciplines. And I would disagree with that a little bit because I'm not hanging out with God so I love myself better. I'm hanging out with God because I love him. And I think that's the part I want to make sure that we're doing the, the spiritual disciplines, especially being in the word, being in prayer, gathered in worship, serving. I want to do those things because I love him and allow him to impact me and change me however he wants to. But it's this last, or I'm sorry, this is the second one, but I wanted to save it to last. It said this, the Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it is not the only way. And I thought, Really? So if you have Jesus on one side saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. On this side, you're saying no? You have Jesus who's God Almighty saying this in John 14, 6, and then on this side you're saying what? That you disagree or that he's a liar because you really can't go anywhere else besides those two places. In Acts chapter four, verse 12, listen to this. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here comes the scriptures. It has to be in the name of Jesus that a person is made right with God. The scriptures say it and all of a sudden we have people going, no, it's not really true. That was good for then, but not for now. Guys, we can do that with any topic. If we just hold to this relative or subjective truth, everything, society, culture, people unravel. We talked about it last week, the boundaries that God sets up with truth are for our benefit. They're for our good. Guys, it's so important for us to hold to truth. But again, as I said, as we, as before we started getting the message, to do it with gentleness and respect. But guys, if, it's, if the scriptures say one thing and a group of people over here go contrary to it, guys, I'm gonna go with what Jesus says. We as a community are gonna go with what the Bible says. And we're going to do our best to try to figure this out and apply it, based, not based upon our culture, but based upon the context of what the scriptures are saying, but to do it appropriately and correctly. And here's the danger. To claim that all religions have merit is to admit all religions, no matter what they believe or how they practice, have merit. What's the danger with that? Guys, do you realize that there is a, there's a thing called the caste system? You guys heard of this before? That's connected to Hindu, uh, Hindu religion. Do you realize how many people are impacted by that? Five levels, I believe. Five levels within the caste system. And it's reincarnation. So if you're born into an up, the upper class or the caste, man, you're it. And you can never leave. It's awesome. But if you're the bottom, you're the deplorables. You're the untouchables. And you can't get out. You stay there. And you're treated as such. And when I hear that, and people go, oh, it's not, I mean, some things you can't hold to, but others, why is it that all of a sudden, if I subjectively, I say, you don't hold to that part, but this part you do. Guys, there's a danger in that. And so if all of a sudden we go, every religion can be true, whatever is good for you with regards to how you believe in God, it's fine. Guys, I disagree. 
because there's a whole lot of people, millions and millions of people who are impacted very negatively because of wrong, incorrect doctrine or belief in God. And yet you come to the scriptures and you see that every human being is created in the image of God, therefore deserves what? Respect and honor because they have intrinsic value no matter where they're from or where they've been or who they are now. So we jump back in Colossians chapter two, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Did you notice that the comparison? Philosophy, empty deceit according to human tradition instead of according to Christ. There's the comparison. You could go after things that are empty and constantly changing or you can hold on to Jesus. And then we jump into, all, why should I? Why should I go with what it is that Jesus says? Well, this is where you jump in verse nine. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a pretty sweet, that's a sweet deal. That when you look at Jesus, that's God in the flesh. That's God, he showed up. That's God. You wanna know how God responds, reacts to situations? How how does it God loves people? Just read the, the passages about Jesus. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Watch how God interacted with people. That's how God is, why? Because in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here's the difference, followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us, but we are not God. We are not deities. But the Holy Spirit of God in us to help us, to guide, to lead, to counsel, all the things I always say. Guys, that's his job. He's with us. He's in us, but we don't become him. But when you look at Jesus, it's the fullness of God. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians one, this is the beginning when we were looking at Colossians one, verse 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what do you do? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he says, instead of this, focus in on Jesus. And who is Jesus? Well, he's fully God. Even the second part of verse 10, who is the head of all rule and authority, means he's in charge. So we go with who Jesus is, but what it is that Jesus has done. We continue on with verses nine through 12. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head. He's in charge of all rule and authority. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting out the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And that makes us uncomfortable, men. Why all of a sudden you jump into circumcision? Gentlemen, how many remember that day? Oh, I'm, the only, I'm just joking. I don't remember it. <laughs> I don't remember it. Why bring, but why bring this up? Why was I saying, he's talking about Jesus and everything that he's done. It's like, oh, and this, un, and this circumcision done without hands. Guys, if I just think medically, that just seems really impossible. But there's something more that he's talking about here. Why bring it up? Well, remember, he's, he's battling against this Jewish legalism. So if you have people that are going, okay, it's not just about Jesus, but you have to add on, if a person wants to come and follow Jesus, you still have to apply the circumcision rule here in the Old Testament. You gotta apply that or you can't be right with God. 
So this is why he brings it up. He's dealing with, he's dealing with an issue of the day. And there are two groups of people in that day with regards to the topic of circumcision. Group number one was this. There's a physical outward act that was sufficient to make one right with God. It didn't matter how you lived, what you believed, so long as you went through the, the process, which most people didn't do when they were adults anyways, it'd be for the kids, you're fine, you're good to go. But then there's a second group that believe this. There's an outward mark of someone who was inwardly changed or dedicated to God. So it wasn't just, hey, I'm doing this religious thing because I'm supposed to. I'm doing this because we're about God. There's the difference. You said, I go, well, that doesn't happen today. Everyone always has the right motives. And yet, friends, for some of you, maybe, maybe for the reason you show up to a worship service is because you always have. Or it's an outward way, but maybe your heart's not really in it, but you do it. Maybe you like how it feels, and that's fine. I'm glad that you're here. Maybe about baptism. You have, you have actually denominations that would say this, that unless you get baptized, you cannot be saved. That means my surrendering to Jesus is not by works. It's all by grace through faith, not by works so no one can boast that I will one day stand before God. Then the first question he asks, well, have you been baptized? And I said, well, I have. But if I hadn't, then he's gonna say, then you have to be away from me. I know that Jesus paid it all, but you didn't get wet, so you're out. Guys, that's not what the Bible says. Are there a couple of places in the book of Acts? Even Peter says, when they ask him, hey, what must, what must we do uh, to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. You're like, there it is. But guys, do you realize that there's actually two understandings of the word baptism? That there's this literal, where you, you plunge someone under the water. Like that's, what the, that's what it means to dip or to plunge, to plunge someone under. But there's this figurative where it's like, I'm associating myself with So we use the Bible to be the commentary for the Bible. That if it's not by works of any kind, but Jesus did everything necessary for me to be right with God. Why get baptized then? Because Jesus wants it. And he calls us to go get baptized. He calls us to go make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do it if I'm not gonna be saved by it? Because we love Jesus. We wanna identify ourselves with him. And so what do I think that Peter's saying in that moment? He says, identify, repent, and go to Christ. Why do I think it's not getting wet? Because in chapter three, when he answers the same kind of question, he doesn't mention baptism. Don't you think if that's the requirement, every single person who ever talks about how you're gonna be made right with God, you have to mention be baptized because if you're not, you're gonna burn. But if it's not clearly just stated, this is it. Guys, did they just not care? Did they make a mistake? Or is that not what Jesus was saying? Is that what scripture was seeing? How about this? Anybody brought up more charismatic, more charismatic background? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you? Uh, okay, I, I pictured big hands on that one. Some are like, ah, I'm not used to that. I'm used to the charismatic. Yeah! So here's the thing. How many of you have ever heard this? You know you have the Holy Spirit by if you speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues, then you know you have the Holy Spirit. And if you do speak in tongues, that means you have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you are saved. Here's the problem with that. The Bible because if Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy, he's like, which one would I prefer? I'd prefer there'd be at least one word of prophecy instead of a thousand words of tongues. If it's a preferential thing and it's a spiritual gift like any other spiritual gift, then why do we say that this is proof that you're saved, but the spiritual gift of administration is not proof that you're saved? Why? Because it's an experience that I get to have. 
And if I have that experience, you have to have that experience because I know that this is, let me give you the secret knowledge. It never happens. Let me give you the secret knowledge. I know this to be true. You don't know it yet. I'm going to make sure you understand it. When you speak in tongues, you are really saved. And I'm going to tell you, friends, that is not true. That's not how it works. It's a spiritual gift. Why do I bring, this, why do I bring these ideas up? Because it's brought up today. This is what people are saying. We want to go with what the Bible says. When you, surrender, when you surrender your life to Jesus, Ephesians chapter one tells you the Holy Spirit, he's given to you as a guarantee of your salvation. Right then, you surrender to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you. I'm gonna go with what it says there and trust God with the experience of it afterwards. Down to verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So he goes from circumcision to baptism. Why talk about baptism? Friends, if you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to be baptized. We've got a pool. We'll do it all nice. And I think it's getting warmed up. It's right there. For those who've never been baptized, you want to be baptized, I would love to do that for you. For those that are part of a home church, don't ever feel like you have to do it here on a Sunday. You can do it with your home church. You can go do it at the beach. Go to the beach. Take a bunch of followers of Jesus with you. Go to the beach. Have a barbecue. Do it. Why do it? Guys, the symbolism behind it is beautiful. Here's why. Guys, when a person goes under the water, it's like, here's the symbolism. You're dying to your old life. When you come out of the water, you're resurrected to new life. That's what it means. Guys, that's the symbolism behind why it is that we do it. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you more right with God. You do it because you're right with God, but not so that you can be. So he brings up this picture of what it is that Jesus has done. So you're buried with him, that you be raised with him, and that you have this power, powerful working of God in you. Guys, he's associating us with everything that Jesus did and went through. So it's like we're co-buried, co-raised, co-made alive, uh, made alive with Jesus. That's what he's saying in this passage. Down to verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. Guys, that, those three words, God made alive. This is where we were before Dead in our, in our sins. Dead in our, tre our trespasses. And the uncircumcision of our flesh. Okay, friends, you ever notice, if you're a follower of Jesus, you yeah, wake up or I'll do it again. I know there's a lot of theology on this one, but hang in there. Don't freak out because I will do that again. So here's the thing. You ever notice, yeah, hey, I follow Jesus, Holy Spirit's in me. Do you still find yourself fighting against temptation? You still have this desire in you to do the things that don't go against what, they don't go with what scripture teaches? Of course you do. You know why? Because you're human. He gave us a new heart and yet we still have to do it, deal with this appetite of the flesh. That's what the Bible calls it, this appetite of the flesh. How do I know? Guys, I've used this before. Does anybody like to hear this phrase when it's not about you? Hey, did you hear about, and it's always somebody else that's like, did you hear about no. And what have I said we do with it? Like we, it's called gossip, but we just do this. Guys, I, I want to share something, but you have to keep it here, but I want to bring it up as a prayer request. And in this prayer request, I want to tell you every detail of this person's life. And here's a picture of them. And I, I typed it all out. In fact, I didn't, they didn't know I was going to do this, but I videotaped them in a conversation with me so you could hear it from, for yourselves. I just want to let you know, we need to make sure we bring all this information to God because he doesn't know. It's called gossip. We like it when it's not about us. It tastes nice, right? It's like somebody else sucks more than I do. 
Oh, I like that. Guys, the reason that we battle is because we have flesh. He gave us a new heart and the reason that we're not always indulging in those things is because he changed us. But it doesn't mean that the battle won't continue. The battle will continue, but you actually approach it like it is. So he says, You've been, you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Watch, forgiving us all our trespasses. Dang, all of them. Even the ones you haven't even done yet. Now, when I say that, people go, if you say that, people are gonna take advantage of grace. No, they're not, because if you really love Jesus, why would you wanna continue to do the things that he bled for? I don't wanna do those things because he's so worth it. He's so worth everything. But to think my sins, all of them have been forgiven. That according to the Bible, it's called in Christ. That I'm known as in Christ. That when the Father looks at me, he sees me as if I were as holy as Jesus. That's his imputed righteousness. I'm not in and out of his righteousness. I'm righteous before God because of Jesus. And when I surrendered my life to him, I became in Christ. And the Father sees me as blameless. You know why that is so mind-blowingly beautiful? Because it's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent on how I achieved anything that day or how I lived anything out. It's all me falling on the grace and the mercy of this incredible God because I can't save myself. And in his grace, in his grace, he loved me enough to send a son and Jesus laid on his life and took it up again. And there's nothing I could ever do that's good enough to make myself right with him so I fall unapologetically on the beautiful and amazing grace of a God who cannot get enough of us. Guys, I wasn't half dead. I wasn't just sleeping before Christ. The Bible says I was dead in my trespasses. And to think that I'm forgiven of everything You know what that should do? Guys, that should impact how I treat other people. Show of hands, a little charismatic, ready? If we had a a culture where forgiveness was the top, one of the top things, by show of hands, how many would think that that would look, everything would look a lot different than it does right now? How about this? Don't raise your hand on this one. What if in your marriage, those of you that are married, what if that was one of the pinnacle things? That's one of the primary foundational pieces. He's like, oh, we would never, especially, okay, for, okay. for those who've been married for a while, I'm guessing that maybe you ticked off your spouse a couple of times. Remember before you got married, he's like, I will, I will never hurt you. I will never hurt you. Because you can't make that statement. When people go, I promise you, I I vow to you before God that I will never hurt you. Do you realize that God in heaven is going, you have no clue what you're talking about. You are fallible and you are human. I will never hurt you. I will never hurt you. It's so cute. Guys, we will hurt each other and then forgive. Isn't that hard to do? If I just say the Bible says to forgive, you're like, do you realize how hard this is? Here's how we connect it to the gospel. I was dead in my trespasses, deserving only of God's wrath. And yet I'm forgiven. I am called to forgive others because I've been forgiven a great deal. 
It's all about what Jesus has done for me. And so why should I forgive those who hurt me the most or say things about me or whatever? Because I've been forgiven a great deal. How can we love those who are our enemies or pray for persecutors? Why? How? Because I've been forgiven a great deal because of Jesus. I look at Jesus as the example, not is this fair. Fair ended in the garden. Don't ask for it anymore. Forgiveness. For those of you that may be holding on to just bitterness and anger, I want to rip into them. Forgive. Why? Because it's God's greatest gift for you to bring you to a place of freedom. And if all that you can hold on to is, Jesus forgave me much, so Holy Spirit, help me forgive. If that's all that you can do, then be honest in the process and trust him to do it. Does it mean all of a sudden forgive, forget, I just walk in blindly? Nope. Learn things from the past. But I'm not gonna hold this against them. And then when those things start to pop up again, God, help me, help me forgive, help me forgive. Because I've been forgiven a great deal. I've been forgiven a great deal. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's what we're called to, friends. So we continue, verse 13, having forgiven us all our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Guys, that word canceling means to wipe away, to eliminate, to erase, to blot out. When, she, when Paul wrote this, they, instead of using paper, they, called, they, they used something called papyrus or vellum. And then they had this certain kind of ink and it didn't have the acid like ours has in it. And so it wouldn't bite into the, it wouldn't bite into the papyrus or the vellum. It would just kind of lay there. And so some people, because it was so expensive for papyrus or vellum, that was so expensive, they would actually use pieces of papyrus or vellum. They would reuse it. All they had to do was just wipe it off and it looked like nothing was ever written on it. And so when Paul's saying, hey, to cancel or to erase, they knew it. They knew what that meant. And here comes Jesus going, hey, I didn't just get rid of some of it and there's a little bit of a residue. He's like, I canceled it. I wiped it out. And I sit there and go, it's kind of like, like a whiteboard. But you ever notice there's always a bunch of junk left on the whiteboard? And then the kid that gets in trouble has to go clean it. Hey, remember who's, who's old, older people? Who remember chalkboards? Chalkboards. Remember chalkboards? Guys, chalkboards, I don't know who came with a concept. Because there's just this constant mess. But it was, okay, a couple of times I had to clean a chalkboard. Did you say a week? How Judy. My parents are in the room. It was hard enough to confess in front of them. How dare you, Judy? Okay, so, you know, okay, not a week, but a couple times I'd have to do it. And I think I, maybe I've told you this. I remember there was this one time after school, I got to hang out and play out, which is the, I loved it. Uh, parents had to pick me up a little bit later. And I found this piece of chalk, and my buddy Matthew Wannan, he failed the test that I passed. I'm not gonna tell you what the grade it was, but I passed it, and he didn't because he was the smartest kid in the class. And so I found this piece of chalk and I was just gonna, I was gonna erase it when I was done. I just wrote it. Matthew Wannan got an F on his test. And, and I, was gonna, I was gonna wipe it off until I realized there was something wrong with the chalk. I went to wipe it off. It didn't move. It just stayed there. And as a fourth grader, I'm going, I'm gonna die. And so as a follower of Christ, as a fourth grader, I just ran. I didn't confess it, I ran. I'm outside and I'm playing kickball, pretending like nothing happened. All of a sudden, I'm standing one, one, next to one of the prison guards, the warden or whoever that is. I'm standing next to her and this kid comes running up and goes, did you see what somebody wrote on the board? Oh, go, 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 go. 
They said Matthew wanted and failed his whatever test it was. And so I just started to back up a little bit, back up a little bit, walk away. Guys, I couldn't get it off. I don't know what it was. I have no clue what's wrong with the chalk. Some of you guys are so smart. Say, well, this is the problem with the chalk. I don't know. I was just terrified. The next day, so it, we were supposed to go on a, on a field trip. And this was during the day. Went to a private school. The principal paddled you. You got in trouble. He had a paddle on the wall with holes in it. So on the bus, I get this paper coming in. Brian, you need to go see Dr. Haddock. I'm like, that's it, it's over, I'm dead. I'm gonna die, my butt's just gonna go through the holes and I'm gonna be done. <laughs> like I was freaking out. So I'm like freaking, I'm like my heart's going like crazy and sweating like to death and I walk in and Dr. Haddock's like, hey, I was just wondering if you could do this for me. It had nothing to do with the, 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 what I wrote on the board. And I just sat there going, sure. Wetting myself, like I was freaking out. <laughs> Guys, even if it's chocolate's not wrong, you wipe it and there's still a residue. And so when we think, okay, it's, it's wiped away, I think in our minds we just picture a residue. There's no residue. It's clean, gone. He canceled the debt. And what is the debt? I think it's two things. One, I think it's our sin. But also, when you look at the passage, the legal, it's legal demands. What's that? You know the first five books of the Old Testament? It's called the law. You know what the purpose of the law is? To show us that we're sinners. That's the whole purpose of it. I'm not called to, I'm not called to live to the standard of the law. The, law's, the purpose of the law is to show, hey, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. So God erased it, blotted it out, moved us from an old covenant to a new covenant. But I feel like in today's culture, we have something called a cancel culture, Right? Have you ever heard of this, the cancel culture? I wrote this in my notes, like if I was to define what a cancel culture is or what the cancel culture is, I think this, is this my interpretation of it? This is my understanding of it. I feel like it means to hurt and to excommunicate those who don't fall into the popular cultural narrative using one's past and present to paint a picture of wrongly justified retribution. I have a hard time with that. Like say it's something that you said 20 years ago would then be brought up to show how horrible of a person you are, even though you may not believe in that anymore. But to destroy you and your character, and, but this is what you said, remember? And if you, don't, if you don't agree with us and our narrative today, then you're out. And isn't it weird that, I feel like a couple decades ago, maybe even less, that's what, that's what people were saying about the church. Oh, you don't let people into the church, and so you're, getting, you're out of here, you're excommunicated, you're gone. And yet I feel like it's the exact same thing happening, isn't it? See, Christ, he canceled the law. Why do I bring this up? Because Jesus has a, he has a cancel culture. But this is what I think he did. Jesus did what he did to redeem the imperfect, broken, rebellious, helpless, hopeless, God-hating, sin-soaked, damned, and unrepentant souls in order to bring us back to himself. His idea was redemption, not retribution. He did it to bring us back. It's like, well, well, if a person doesn't want to follow Jesus, well, then God says, then your will be done. But eternity without God is called hell. And so it's like, well, look what he's going to do, but look what he did. So it didn't have to happen. To redeem us, to bring us back, not to get rid of us. So followers of Jesus, this is what we're supposed to do. Remember, hey, I have a past. 
But the beauty of the past and the gospel is that the beauty of the past paints this incredible picture of God's redemptive story about my life. This is what I was like before, and this is who I am now, and praise God for what he brought me out of, but what he brought me out of is part of the beauty of the gospel. Not, you're out, you're done. Followers of Jesus, only if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is like a family, this is a family out here, family gathering real quick. Followers of Jesus, we need to remember who we were before. Like, why wasn't that bad? Yes, you were. You were. We were. I didn't do it. They just stop comparing. We need to stop comparing ourselves with what other people have done and compare ourselves to Jesus. He's the standard. We haven't lived up to that standard. Therefore, we are all sinners. And we've been redeemed and brought back. And followers of Jesus were supposed to go out to a broken world to bring them to Jesus. And may, they may not like it, but it doesn't mean we just shun them and get rid of them. No, they may not like it. We keep loving them. Keep loving them to show kindness. If all of a sudden they won't hear about the gospel, take them a lasagna the next night. I don't know, but let's just keep showing them Jesus for the purpose of them coming to, coming to Christ. As the worship team comes back up. Let me close it down. Let me skip a couple things. What's the main point for today? I wrote this in my notes. Being reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done should move us to love and worship Jesus in a manner worthy of him. Reminded of who he is and what he's done should cause us to want to worship him and love him in response. That's why I think that Paul brings this up you can either base, we can base our life on philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, or we can base our life on Christ. So I think we should base it upon Jesus, who he is. Who is he? Jesus is advocate, almighty, alpha and omega, the amen. The author and finisher of our faith. He's the beloved son, the bread of life. He's the captain of salvation, chief shepherd, cornerstone, creator, deliverer, desire of the nations. He's the door. He's the elect of God, faithful witness, first and last, glory of the Lord, God, good shepherd, head of the church, holy one, horn of salvation. He's the I am, the image of God. He's Emmanuel, Jehovah, Jesus, king of kings, lamb of God, leader and commander. He's the life. He's the light of the world, the line of the tribe of Judah. He's Lord of lords, man of sorrows, mediator, Messiah, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Redeemer, Resurrection and Life. He's Savior. He's Truth. He's the Son of God and He's the Word of God. And that's who we're supposed to base everyone or everything on. And that Jesus and what it is that He did for us. Friends, we could never pay Him back. And He never asks us to. He became a man, lived life suffered as we suffer, paid the penalty, took a cross, and took the full wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to, resurrected from the dead in three days. He ascended on high, and he's coming back one day. And yet those 33 some odd years of his life are an example to us of how it is that we're called to live. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you so we can actually live the life that Jesus lived. He did all that. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave. Friends, may we have the same response. May our life be based upon who Jesus is and what it is that he's done. Can I pray for you? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. 
We thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us to make peace with God. And then God, may we go out with that same message of hope to people. Use us, God, for your purposes. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you guys more than you know. Let's sing together.